0: good question is one that generates additional questions. I mean, we live in a world that's like an onion. with numerous parts to be peeled off, and so um, I like exploring questions that themselves lead to additional uh, questions.
1: Hello, and welcome to Just Questions, where I talk to researchers and students about their research questions and how they ask them. And this episode, we have
0: Phil Ward, I'm a faculty member in the Department of Entomology and Nematology at the University of California, Davis, California.
1: So, um, what do you work on currently?
0: Well, a, a series of projects um, that revolve around the theme of ant phylogeny and ant species delimitation or ant ant taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, with With To be honest, more of a focus at the moment on ant phylogeny, Mm -hmm. Um, so we're trying to understand the relationships among major lineages of ants, um, uh, so what we might call higher level uh, phylogenetic relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still very interested in questions of species, speciation and species relationships too, and so that's certainly a part of a component of what I do.
1: So what what kind of questions do you ask to um, address this topic? Um, So what we're asking is
0: um, quite fundamental and and straightforward questions in many ways. Um, What are the um, relationships among among the major different kinds of, of, in this case, ants? The organisms we study are ants. So our interest is in understanding their evolutionary history, um, the genealogy. So the question is, well, the questions really revolve around um, uh, understanding and reconstructing as accurately as possible um, the uh, history of branching events if you want to put it that way um, mm-hmm. for the ant uh, for the um, for formicity the for the clade or the group known as ants. Mm-hmm. Um, at the at a lower level, um, there's qu- questions about um, uh, what constitute the species boundaries of some group of interest. So for in groups and in ants in a particular genus, we're interested in knowing what are the where are the boundaries between species, what are the species and what I- where are their boundaries? Mm-hmm. And of course, how are they related to each other. So mm-hmm. questions about the delimitation of species and their relationships. Put it very simply, uh, you know, there is some um, downstream analyses that follow from that. So, um, having um, estimated or inferred a phylogeny, you can then also um, attempt to infer uh, dates of divergence, so the time at which uh, lineages diverged or arose. Mm-hmm. Um, and one can um, map traits on the tree and and under. Using various modes of analysis, uh, attempt to infer the, the sequence of changes in character states, mm-hmm. uh, including geography. So we can think of geography as an attribute, say, of contemporary species, and we can ask, can we reconstruct the geographical the history of uh, geographical changes in, in range mm-hmm. for taxa. So historical geography, trade evolution, species limitation, and phylogeny. Are the, those are the sort of uh, areas that we're
1: exploring. Mm-hmm broadly, what kind of methods do you use to answer all your questions that you just mentioned?
0: Yeah, so uh, the questions have to be answered, first of all, through almost always multi-species sampling. So I'm not involved in any projects really that focus on the ecology behavior of a single species. Mm-hmm. This sets me apart maybe from some, maybe many ant mm-hmm. researchers who are ecologists or behaviors, maybe focus on a taxon. So um, almost always Involves um, sampling or uh, obtaining and and procuring um, samples of a variety of taxa, a variety of species, Um, and then um, these days we are relying on genetic data to infer phylogenies. So we are um, taking a geographically representative sample of taxa and extracting DNA and um, sequencing uh, anywhere from. 10 genes to 2,000 genes, <laughs> depending on whether we use the older Sanger sequencing or these new, uh, geno- phylogenomic
1: methods. Yeah. Okay. So, what was the first research question that you that you've asked that you can remember now? You know,
0: first, when I was a kid, I was I was very interested in natural history, and I was an insect collector. And I saw as a kid, you know. Entomologist from way back, and i am sure I had many little individual natural history-oriented questions from the time I was just a few years old. Um, uh, so it seemed like I always always wanted to I wanted to be a, a sort of a naturalist slash biologist. Um, <laughs> uh, so you know, I was I was collecting insects all through my childhood. Um, joined entomology or field naturalist clubs when I was a teenager. I. Majored in biology when I was an undergraduate. Um, I did an honors undergraduate project, mm-hmm. which asked the question: Are there differences in the dis- in, in the species diversity of moth communities in or moth assemblages in habitats disturbed by man to differing degrees? So, mm-hmm. my honors undergraduate thesis, if you want to call it that, was a was an examination of differences in in sort of um, alpha diversity or site diversity um, in forested areas that have been disturbed to uh, different amounts by humans mm-hmm. So it was, um, and that um, meant collecting lots of moths and sampling them in different areas and and it fed my penchant for taxonomy because i had to identify them mm-hmm. which meant uh, dissecting the male genitalia and doing all this sort of taxonomic work to identify the, the community the the, spe- the specimens of moths that i collected to answer this question about about uh, species diversity mm-hmm. um so I suppose that was the fir- first one of the first research, research questions. Ended up, but it also entailed activities like species delimitation and and, and taxonomy. Um, my PhD, which I did in Australia, um, actually at Sydney Uni, mm-hmm. um, was um, concerned with population structure and and uh, and. The genetics of, of ant, ants uh, living in patches of rainforest, and again, it combined sort of questions of, involving population genetics and social evolution with uh, taxonomy or systematics, because the, I began to work with a species complex of ants that, whose taxonomy was in a um, incomplete state. Mm-hmm. So I've always had, following any research question, I've always had some degree of of sort of this association with or connection with taxonomy mm-hmm. itself, I, I was always, um, and I've always enjoyed that. I, I've always been enamored with just diversity itself. I um, mean, there's an aesthetic appeal to working on some taxon, some clay that has lots of diversity and
1: mm-hmm. things that
0: show a huge variety of, of variation in phenotype and and, and whether it's morphology
1: or behavior, ecology, life history, and so on. So would you say the kind of questions that you've asked um, f- during the beginnings of your uh, research career and now has hasn't really changed, or did, would you no, say no? They did changed? change
0: actually because my 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 early work was more influenced by questions in ecology. I think mm-hmm. that question about species diversity, for example, the moth community work that was really just a, a, a sort of a straight ahead community ecology type question, right? Mm-hmm. I was interested in looking at the distribution of abundances, you know. Whether it's log normal or not, whether the differences in evenness as well as species richness between these different sites, mm-hmm. very much a sort of community, a sort of a yeah community ecology question. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to do my PhD, I was following. Uh, I w- my questions were largely oriented towards uh, the evolution of social behavior and related genetic questions, because those were at the forefront at that time. At that time Hamilton's papers had just appeared and. And uh, and there was a lot of interest in the origin of social behavior. So it was almost after I finished my PhD that I began to move more in the direction of systematics and phylogeny.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was always interested in that, but it wasn't. It became the primary focus. Um, I would say um, as I finished my PhD and <laughs> went on to become a uh, system professor.
1: Yeah. So. Um, What do you think makes a good question, according to you?
0: Well, I suppose uh, a good question is one that generates additional
1: questions.
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, we live in a world that's like an onion, there's numerous parts to be peeled off, and so um, I like exploring questions that themselves
1: lead to additional uh, questions. So you must have had uh, many ideas through asking questions and then having more questions from there. So what was one of your favorite ideas that you liked the most, or maybe a few? If you have more,
0: yeah. Well, even for my PhD, when I was I was initially interested in the question of of colony structure um, and genetic relatedness and sex ratios of investment. Those were all hot topics at that time. Um, but just as I chose this ant to work on, mm-hmm. I found an ant living in patches of rainforest. That ant knew nothing about this recent fad in <laughs> evolution biology God. about sex ratios of investment. It just presented itself to me, and I realized that it itself was. Um, was of just a whole world of different questions, right? About mm-hmm. its biology, about its relationships. It turned out it, it was it. I mean, the, that kind of ant I'd chosen to study was a complex of species, so I had to work out the, t- the species relationships and and what the species boundaries were. So just by virtue of choosing an animal out in a in natural environment, in this case, Australian rainforest, um, to answer these questions that, that were sort of largely decided by the the. the cultural dynamic of the time that the strong interest in mm-hmm. what we would call sociobiology or you know the evolution of social behavior but by virtue of choosing an actual organism out there in nature a whole bunch of additional questions just maybe more fundamental ones about uh, biology species limits mm-hmm. and relationships uh, came to the fore mm-hmm. and then too I you know I, I thought I was studying a species that I could um, simply recognize populations because it was Confined to a rainforest, rainforest in Australia is very patchily distributed. The predominant landscape, certainly from New South Wales, Victorian border north, is is, you know sort of is is sclerophyll forest, and rainforest occurs in discrete patches. So I thought, okay, I'll find an ant that lives in these patches of rainforest, and that'll be convenient for doing uh, for looking at within and between population variation. Mm -hmm. Uh, An additional interest at that time was just a question whether haplodiploidy. Uh, generates different sort of patterns of genetic variation than, say, Diploptera. So, 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 I chose this ant that was found in patches of rainforest, and then it, it, it then it presented itself a whole bunch of additional, um, uh, you know, questions that I hadn't really considered or would not have initially considered. I guess one of the joys of that PhD project was that I just discovered new things. That um, it turned out these ants um, they weren't that simple. There were different species. There were multiple species. There were both queens and workers were reproducing. I discovered this sort of polymorphism of Colony structure: whether it's sort of two different kinds of colonies, one um, containing uh, mated workers only, the other containing a mated, uh, mated single mated queen. Mm-hmm. They had differences in relatedness between the two. Uh, unsurprisingly, the ones with the single queen had high levels of relatedness. The ones with several mated workers had lower relatedness. They had different sex ratios of investment. All this phenomenology, kind of, I didn't. I didn't go out there and say, "Well, I'm going to find." A species um, that shows this, you know, vir- pop- this variation in population structure. Yeah. Um, I encountered it by virtue of just being a, you know, being a naturalist, just going out looking for some interesting ant to study that was living in patches, discrete habitat patches. So I sort of feel that um, there's a, a lot of virtue in not being too tightly bound to your initial research questions and keeping your eyes open and being willing to explore um, and discover new things in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel. a, a do that less these days, I see students often coming in where much of their research program is formulated by the questions that are part of the existing, you know, say ecological evolutionary theory hmm. rather than um, generated by or or uh, motivated by observations made in nature. Hmm. And you must remember that Darwin himself, who you know, created one of the most you know, valuable theories in biology, did so not by going out, expect, not by trying to sort of further develop a theory. He just went out yeah. with an open eyes, mm-hmm. observed the world around him, discovered, saw these interesting patterns, and they in turn uh, generated new hypotheses and questions. So, this idea of, of always going into a project with a hypothesis first, mm-hmm. I think, is, is, is wrong headed. I think we need to be doing some biology that we might call exploratory, mm-hmm. that where we look for new systems that, mm-hmm. that generate new questions that we wouldn't otherwise. Um, encounter or, or notice mm-hmm. if we're just driven by existing hypotheses or existing okay. a sort of theory. Or
1: so finally, um, what other advice would you give to students that might be just starting off with their research?
0: Yeah, well, it's a different world now, I suppose, than it was when I began my PhD. Um, it's much more competitive and, and the resources are limited mm-hmm. um, I was doing my PhD in the 70s and 80s well, the 70s at a time when economies were expanding and there was a sense of optimism about um, the world that I think is um, harder to sustain today so um, so I'm not, uh, you know I can't just um, reflect on my own experience and say I would suggest that you know because I think my own experience was a different one from what that of students today mm-hmm. but but obviously a fundamental thing is that you, you don't go into this field, the field of biology or evolution biology or systematics or phylogeny, uh, phylogenetics or or behavioral ecology, unless you're really motivated to, to understand uh, the way the world works. I mean, there's no sense in doing this for careerist reasons. Do it because you really are mm-hmm. just intensely curious about the way the world works. Yeah. And, and and otherwise, go and be a car salesman or something, or a mm-hmm. businessman, you know. Yeah. So we should, I would just, for those students going into biology, uh, I would urge that they do so on the basis of being highly motivated to answer questions about
1: nature. Um, and. Um,
0: Make that the major goal rather than uh,
1: earning a good (laughs) salary. Great, thanks very much. And to summarize this episode, natural history observations can be a source of your questions. Good questions lead to more questions. Do not be too bound by your research questions alone. Explore as you go. Gute Fragen führen zu mehrere Fragen. No, not in German. <laughs> not in, which language? in English. <laughs> so, in English, I yeah. I
0: say it. <laughs> follow just questions on iTunes and SoundCloud. And follow your host on Twitter at Ravindra underscore PN.